0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. First, please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Mark, chapter one, starting with verse 14. and they immediately left their boats and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Welcome to our church. Glad that you're here. I want to share briefly with you this morning from God's Word on this fourth Sunday of the new year. Thank God for the reading of Scripture and for the freedom that we have to hear God's Word being read. So, I'm a pastor, that's what I am. I'm not a scientist. But I was really amazed. I was stunned, actually that the scientific community created vaccines by the end of last year, the end of 2020. The fastest any vaccine had previously been developed from sampling to approval was four years when they developed a vaccine for mumps back in the 1960s. And I remember hearing people say that to develop a vaccine that most likely it wouldn't be ready until the summer of 2021. And even then, they felt they were being highly optimistic. But as we all know, by the start of December of last year, the developers of several vaccines had announced excellent results. And so on December 2nd, a vaccine was approved by the FDA for emergency use. The reason why they were hustling and working around the clock, it was because lives were at stake. There was no room for complacency. The sooner these needles could get out there and get into people's arms, the more lives would be saved. And all across America now, because of the limited availability of the vaccines, all across America, people are queuing up, queuing up in the sweltering heat of Florida, in California, all across the Midwest in the cold of winter, because they received the good news that a vaccine is available. Yes, it's for a limited segment of our population, but for that segment of our population, a vaccine is available and it's good news. You know, when we want people to get moving on something, we often write or we say, ASAP as soon as possible. And there is within Mark's gospel this tone of urgency, ASAP. And you say, Well, what's the urgency? Well, John the Baptist had literally been handed over to death. He was arrested. And he was now under the sentence of death. And with his arrest, John's ministry was finished. It was completed. He had completed his purpose for his life, and Jesus now would begin his work. John's arrest triggered the start of Jesus's ministry, and what Jesus does after spending those 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, after that period was over, we read in, John's, in Mark's gospel that Jesus comes to the fishing villages around the Sea of Galilee, and he was proclaiming and announcing the good news of God. And what is that good news? And the good news is that the kingdom of God has come near. And you go back and you read the Old Testament from Abraham to Malachi, and you see the promise of a day that would come when the kingdom of God would be present among God's people. And God's people waited and they waited for God's Messiah to come and save this troubled world. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven, the God who created the heaven and the earth, this God has come to defeat the powers of darkness and put to flight the evils and the injustices of our world. And this was Jesus's message, the time is fulfilled. The time is here, the kingdom of God is here. And he wasn't just referring to a date on our calendar. He wasn't just referring to the time on our watch. He was talking about God's time. It is now God's time. And so he says, ASAP, repent and believe in the good news. And friends, I want you to know this is not good advice. This is not some empty political promise made on some, some, some corner by a politician. This wasn't some new self-help program, some new brand of spirituality, or some new meditation routine to break up stress. No, this was an announcement that God's kingdom is now here. Now, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Thankfully, it doesn't mean a political entity. It doesn't mean a political party. It doesn't mean some shining personality. It's not a geographical area, like the United Kingdom or the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Those are kingdoms indeed, but they pale in power and durability and significance and importance to this kingdom of God that Jesus speaks of. So what is the kingdom of God then? The kingdom of God is the place or the realm where God rules and it is fully at work and fully present in the person of Jesus Christ. And go back to the Old Testament and you see glimpses of God's rule, glimpses of justice and peace, glimpses of God's reign. You saw that for a little bit in the reigns of people like King David or in the reigns of Solomon, but they were fleeting and they were temporary. But right now, Jesus is saying, I am here, my kingdom is here, and I've come to usher in a new order. But the reality is, even as Jesus speaks and announces and proclaims the kingdom of God, there is a bit of dissonance that is going on because if as Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God is near, how is it then, some skeptic might say, how is it if if, if your kingdom is here, how is it that John the Baptist has now been handed over to death? How did that happen if your kingdom is here? And after 2000 years and in a moment when we pray the Lord's Prayer, for 2000 years, Christians around the globe have been praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we look around at the world and we say, Lord, when will we see your kingdom come? When will we see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because when we look at the world, seems as if evil is eclipsing what God is doing in the world. When we look at the world, the world seems to be groaning under satanic tyranny. Why, when we look at the world, do the, the rich and the powerful and the wicked go free while the poor and the weak continue to suffer and suffer and experience the injustices in this world? Where is this kingdom of God, people will say. The thing we need to understand this morning is that when Jesus announced the kingdom of God, yes, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and through his church, that kingdom is already here, and that kingdom is already shifting the darkness and bringing in the light. But it's not complete. Because when Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, he was also referencing the kingdom in its present state but he was also referencing the kingdom in its future state and so there is a fullness of the kingdom that is yet to be seen there is a fullness and so we speak about the present kingdom and we speak about the future kingdom of god and you and i are living in that interim period and in that interim period we're seeing we're seeing amazing things happen we're seeing people being healed we're seeing people being fed we're seeing the gospel being preached to the poor we're seeing the orphans are being being cared for the widows are being cared for we see the light of god's kingdom shining and yet at the same time we see gross darkness and that's how it's going to be but friends we need to remember that a future kingdom is on the way and you read the book of revelation Chapter 19, and you hear the words of John, this jubilant word, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad in it. But that kingdom, that future kingdom, the fullness of God's kingdom is not here. And yet, even in this time, this is the reason for the urgency Because when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, that kingdom comes with Christ coming to reign, he comes as a righteous judge, he comes to overturn wickedness, he comes to cast Satan and his minions in the lake of fire, he comes to to, to disrupt every, every, every vestige of evil that is in the world when Jesus comes. In his fullness, he comes to accomplish all of that. So now is the time for us, the urgency of this moment, to begin to respond to the call of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really at the heart of what I want you to hear this morning. What does the kingdom of God mean for your life and for mine? Well, during this interim time, Jesus then issues A radical summons to change your heart. Repent. Change the direction of your life. Believe the good news. Turn away from the things that Jesus hates. Turn to the things that Jesus loves. Don't delay. Don't postpone. Don't fall asleep. Repent and believe the gospel. And the word gospel means what? Good news. Good news. Good news that our Lord and Savior is here. He wants to save those who will come to him. He wants to deliver those who will come to him. That is the good news of the gospel. I read this week that there is an inscription that was written about the same time that Jesus was alive. And it starts this way, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus when you read that inscription, it was about the birth and the coronation of a Roman emperor. And that also is good news. So the gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that was done for you that changes your status forever. Now this good news, Jesus says, is greater than any announcement, any inauguration. Any good news that this world could ever utter, the gospel that Jesus utters totally exceeds that. And we see this illustrated when Jesus calls the four disciples. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God calls us to repent, and the kingdom of God calls us to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, as he walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw these two disciples, these two fishermen rather, Simon and Andrew, and they were busy mending their nets, getting ready to go back out and catch more fish and sell more fish and make more money so they could feed their families. And Jesus comes up to these two fishermen and he says to them, follow me. And then he goes further down the shore and he sees two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they're there in their father's boat and they're there with their nets and with the other friends. And Jesus says to these two young men, I want you to follow me. Now here's what's so radical about that. What is so radical about that? In that day, the pupil chose the rabbi, the rabbi never chooses the pupils. And those who wish to learn, and those who wish to follow, and those who wish to, to be under the tutelage of a rabbi or a teacher, they would, they would walk in the steps of that rabbi. They would go to that rabbi and, and seek to, to, to follow the rabbi. But in Mark, it is different. Jesus seeks the pupils. Jesus calls the disciples. And I think this is important to hear that we cannot have a relationship with Jesus unless he calls us. And he called Simon and Andrew. He called James and John. And what this means is when we embrace the kingdom of God, not only must we repent, but then we come under the reign of Christ and we follow him. And in that sense, the kingdom of God then becomes very disruptive, because in that culture, people gain their identity through family. And Jesus one time said these very radical words, unless you hate your mother and your father, unless you hate your brother and your sister, You cannot be my disciple. What does he mean by that? He's saying that when you decide to come under my reign, it's going to be disruptive, and suddenly all of your priorities are going to be upended. And whereas your family was number one, or your job was number one, or your pleasures were number one, when you come under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you've got to put me first. And if you don't put me first, you cannot be my disciple. In our culture today, leaving family is not a big deal. In fact, I remember when I was a teenager, I kept dreaming of the day when I'd be my own person and I could leave my family and be on my own. In our culture, that's not a big deal. But what if Jesus came to you today and said, I want you to follow me. And it might mean leaving your career. It might mean giving more of your money away. What would you do? Because for us today, these are the things that give us identity. Would you be willing to allow the kingdom of God to reshape the priorities of your life and the things that define your life? That's what the kingdom of God means for you and for me. And it's urgent that we do it now because when Christ returns, we won't have the luxury of being able to do that. When Jesus says, follow me, What he's saying is, I want you to know me, I want you to love me, I want you to resemble me, I want you to serve me, I want you to let me become the central passion in your life and everything else then becomes second and third and fourth. When Jesus issues that kind of call to us in modern-day America, What we say is, don't be a fanatic. What's the rush? What's the urgency? That's what we say. Don't go overboard. And when we meet a Christian who puts Jesus first and everything else second, what do we say about those people? We say they're fanatics. What do people in the world say? They've joined a cult. And most of us will say, well, sure, Jesus, I'm going to follow you as soon as I get this stuff off my list of this busy, busy things that I need to get done. Sure, Jesus, I will follow you and I'll, I'll come to church every now and then. I, I, in fact, I was here. I was watching online at, at Christmas. Sure, Jesus, I'll follow you. Every now and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a few dollars to help the poor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help bring food to a food bank. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm interested in. I want for you to come under my reign, come under my lordship, and let me define what it means to be my disciples in this broken and troubled world. When you follow Jesus, we can hold nothing back. When you follow Jesus, he promises, I'm going to use you. And that's what he told those four disciples, follow me and I'll make you do something greater than what you're doing. You're fishing for fish, I'm gonna use you when you follow me to fish for people. That's why it is so urgent. When You look at this world teeming with over 7 billion people and some of them don't know that there is a Savior who loves them. There is a Savior who died for them. There is a Savior who can transform their lives and give them a greater sense of purpose. And the way that message gets to the seven billion people around this globe, it is through people like you and me, followers of Jesus. It makes it all the more urgent. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 14, he said these very solemn words. That when this gospel has been proclaimed to the whole world then the end will come then the end will come and that's why our role as the church in the kingdom of God is so critical that if we're truly the followers of Jesus then part of that following involves fishing for people and bringing people into his kingdom what do we see today? What do we see today? We're in America, we're in America, the American church, do we see this kind of passion, this kind of focus, this kind of obedience for following Jesus and living under his reign? And I'm gonna be honest with you, even in my own life, we don't see too much of that. Instead, what we see In much of the churches in North America, we see ease, no urgency. We see, and I'm just going to go there, we see more passion for politics than for Jesus. That's what happened in the White House, at, at the state capitol, at the capitol building rather. That's what happened at the capitol building on January 6th. Those people who say we're Jesus followers, they were demonstrating more passion for politics than for Jesus, more passion for work than for Jesus. And Jesus hasn't changed. And Even today, he is still extending that call. It is a call to believe. And I ask you, my friend, do you believe? It is a call to repent. And I ask you, my friend, have you repented? It is a call to follow him and be defined by his kingdom priorities. And I'm asking you, my friends, have you made that commitment to truly give your life over to Christ and say, Lord, I am yours. I am yours. I commit myself to you. I follow you. I prayed this morning that you will do that and give your life wholeheartedly to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the urgency of the moment. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.